Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and it says this, Behold, the day is coming. Look at somebody and say, it's coming. The day is coming and it's burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. And they will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, meaning Jesus, shall rise with healings in his wings. And you shall go up and out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. And you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Harab. For all Israel with the statues and judgments. Verse 5 is why I'm here. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Verse six says, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I strike the earth with a curse. If I can be honest, I'm a, I'm a church boy, okay? I love going to church. There are some of you in here, just look straight when I say this, there's some of you who don't mind not coming to church on Sunday. It don't hurt your feelings to sleep in because y'all know some of y'all were tired and you had to fight tooth and nail just to get here this morning. But I love, and some of you I absolutely love going to church, but I just don't, I don't miss church. I just, for the past 15 plus years, I can, I can literally count on one hand, I'm pretty sure, if not at least a hand and a half, I can count the amount of times that I have missed service. And I have, if I had missed those services, it's probably because my wife wanted to take a vacation or somebody was really sick or had to take care of one of the kids. Rare occasion. I absolutely love church. 51 weeks out of the year. There are 52 weeks in a year, right? Am I right? That one week that I really didn't care for going, it's not that I despised going. I just didn't care to go. And that specific Sunday fell in June, namely Father's Day. And one of the reasons is, is because I knew what the sermon would be. The pastor would kindly get up there. I'm certain he would have all the dads stand up and hand them all nice, cool gifts and honor them for being great dads made me feel really uncomfortable. It's not that I didn't necessarily want to be there, is I knew going there that whatever the sermon was based on, I probably wouldn't be able to relate to it. Actually, as most of you know, I see a couple of new faces in here. For those of you who don't, uh, my dad was murdered when I was nine, so I didn't really grow up with a dad. So I don't know what it was like to toss a ball with a dad or him come to one of your games or I never, I, I don't ever remember my dad ever saying, I love you. I'm sure he did, but I was nine years old. So, so at all costs, come Sunday morning in June, I didn't want to be there. And the times that I did go there, because I'm just church boy at heart, wanted to go to church, I would go, and that 
same kind of sermon and someone would see me and come, you know, put their hand on my shoulder. And it was just kind of a typical thing for the past 15 years. And so I would avoid uh, Sundays at all costs. And over time, though, God began to work on my heart and heal my heart. And I would begin to go to church to celebrate God, my father, instead of my earthly father. And so my heart began to change. And so I was no longer going to celebrate someone in the physical flesh. I was going to celebrate my heavenly father. And that's how I began to celebrate Father's Day. And so today I'm really encouraged and I'm really excited about this message. And I really hope it blesses you. But last year I preached the message called the father fracture. And how every person is born with a hole in their heart. And it's in the shape of a father. Everybody. Everybody has a father need and a father hunger. We can thank Adam for that. And I begin to preach on how what we're seeing in the nations of the world and what we're seeing in our own homes, the brokenness, the fractures, is directly related to our relationship with God and how we experienced our earthly father. Come on, somebody say amen to that. And as a matter of fact, much of the, the contributing factors that we're experiencing in the world right now, uh, the hate and the racism in this country, stem from fathers, namely our forefathers, still fathers. Speaking of fractures, when I was 12 years old, I heard that old familiar sound of the siren or the, the ice cream man, you know, siren that would go off. Who grew up around ice cream trucks, like coming down your neighborhood? Okay, so mostly everybody. And I remember it was in the 90s, and this, this truck pulled down the road, and me and my friend, my best friend Matthew, still my best friend till, to this day. We've been best friends for 27 years. And I ran out to the ice cream man. And I dug deep in my pockets frantically, you know, looking for my, that dollar bill. I remember I had one. It wasn't in my pocket. And so as I was standing at the truck, um, I was kind of, I couldn't, I had like a blind side, if you will. So I ran around the front of the truck and it was right, parked right in front of my house. So, but right when I stepped out of the truck, everything went black. And I woke up in uh, a CAT scan. And what I did was, is I stepped out in front of a car that was speeding down the road. The car hit me so hard, it literally knocked my shoes off. It didn't just knock my shoes off right beside me. It was 50 feet away in another yard. Like, it literally almost killed me. And so I only walked away with a, um, a concussion. Of course, I couldn't remember it. The only thing I remember is opening my eyes and seeing blood everywhere, and that was about it. I went, I went out again, and I had a fractured elbow. I think I didn't break the ball. I was so surprised because I like destroyed the front of the car. And I was a big boy. And um, I only fractured my elbow. I contributed to my, you know, all that milk my mom fed us growing up. But I didn't break the bone, but I fractured it. Now, now, after time has gone by, this fracture has healed so much, it's actually my strongest arm. And, and that's what happens with fractures. Did you know that? Is calcium will begin to build up where there's a break or where there was a previous break or fracture and where that bone once was broken, it now becomes the strongest point of the arm and will actually ne more than likely never ever break in that area again. As a matter of fact, if there's another impact, it's more likely to break in another area versus where the fracture previously was. And so why do I say all that? 
is I think about the father fracture that's happening in America right now. I see how this fracture is happening, this divide is happening, this break. That's what, that's what division is. There's a break in America between our cultures, between you know, who's on the left and who's on the right. Uh, we're dividing over skin color, dispositions, our belief systems, even religion. But you know what I believe is oftentimes a break will happen and God will allow a break to happen because he wants to heal the brokenness and he wants the end of the state of that condition to be better than it was in the beginning. I believe God is just revealing the weak points in America, not to break America down, but to hit the reset button. And, and I, believe, I believe what God is about to do is something much greater than we've experienced before. But you have to have spirit eyes to be able to discern it and to be able to understand what's coming and what God is doing. Did you know in order to regenerate growth in the ecosystem, what they'll do is they'll send out rangers with a flamethrowing gun and they will actually burn the four, first four feet of the trees, not to burn and do, cause a forest fire, but it's an intentional fire. And what it does is it regenerates growth. And God will allow all this stuff to happen in the world, not to break America down, but to rebuild America. At the end of the day, our faith should never be in our politics nor in our government because I think it's proven that it's not faithful and it's not consistent. It doesn't matter if you're on the left or to the right. There is one government that we all should live by, and that's called the kingdom of God. And so as I look at this scripture in Malachi, it's like a beaming light. It's like a north star to me. And, and, you might, and you might say to me, preacher, preacher, I realize that, that, that you're saying that there's great hope in the future. In, in the end days, you know, the hearts of the fathers are going to be turned back to the sons and the sons back to the father. But what about all these other verses, verses like what's found in Matthew chapter 24, talking about the end times. I keep hearing people talking about end times, end times, and I am kind of an end times guy. But, but let, let me give you these couple verses. They're a little bit long. I want to I wanna, I wanna kind of harp on them just for a moment and build a picture frame, and then we're going to have some fun, okay? In Matthew chapter 24, it says this, and this is Jesus's words. Look at somebody and say, it's Jesus. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 24. Listen what he says. Now as he sat, who sat? Jesus, on the Mount of Olives, Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Watch this. Jesus tells them exactly what's going to happen. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying, I am he, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars. Anybody heard of any wars lately? You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Somebody say, not yet. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. There will be COVID-19s. Excuse me, it doesn't say that. There will be pestilence. And earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. And it goes on to talk about how you will be delivered up to tribulation. And then many false prophets will arise. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom. Listen to that. He's talking about revival is going to happen first. Watch this. He says, and all this gospel of the kingdom will first be preached in all the nations as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. 
Somebody say the end is not yet. And then you've got other verses that scream out at you, like 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, but know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so we have all these things. It's talking about utter chaos, worldwide division. We're talking about wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, all these different things. And here you got Malachi, which I want to note this and underline this, is the last book and the last verse of the Old Testament saying, hey, this is exactly what's going to happen. It's, it's going to be mingled with a whole lot of trouble. Yes. Tribulation, yes. Issues, yes. Worldwide chaos, yes. But don't forget that before my coming, what I'm going to do is found in verse 5 of Malachi chapter 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. I always wondered why he called it a great and terrible day. I asked my friend Rebecca that the other day. I was sitting, I think, in my study or in my office somewhere. And I'm like, Lord, why do you call it a great and terrible day? It can't be both. Does anybody, anybody have that answer? I think the answer, the Holy Spirit whispered to me. He said, it's going to be great for some and terrible for others. That's a pretty good answer. So for those who are on the side of Jesus, those who have given their hearts to Christ, those who've decided to take up their cross daily and follow after Jesus, it's going to be a good day. They're going to have peace in their heart in the middle of trouble, in the middle of tribulation. But for those who refuse the gospel, those who refuse Christ, God will have to wipe the tears from his own eyes because the person that he paid the price for turned their back on him. Amen? And so today I want to minister from a message called The Last Move. The last move. What do I mean by the last move? I'm talking about the last move before the coming of Christ. And I believe one of those moves is the move of the Father. The move of the Father. Somebody say the move of the Father. There's a couple characteristics I see in both God the Father, both spiritually speaking and in the natural as it relates to earthly fathers. And one of those things earthly fathers do in the home is they establish order. If you remove the father out of the home, you remove the hedge of protection. Daughters be, can, can be unsafe, right? Or the sons remain unsafe because they don't have the umbrella of protection in the home. And if they do, sometimes there is an, a present father, but he's absent emotionally. And so it's the same case. I was thinking about this verse uh, verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the, the coming and the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And I thought, Elijah was amazing. Elijah was a prophet of God. Elijah was that same guy who called fire down from heaven and destroyed like 400 false prophets in one night on top of a mountain. I mean, fire fell on them. They died. It was, it was amazing. But he wasn't like a great father. He wasn't affectionate. But I thought he was a man of order who brought order. His prophetic DNA in him Wherever he would go in a region, he would establish order. And I was thinking about how when I look at the world today, and there's so many people siding with, yeah, let's move, remove the police department. Don't be a genius. I'm being nice. Because I, I can't imagine what this world would look like 
if we remove, it's like, it's like this. There are bad preachers and there's good ones. There's great car salesmen and there's bad ones. There's doctors who want you to pay them money for the rest of your life to remain on medication. And then there are good ones. So why don't we just fire everybody if there's bad in every single genre or area of expertise? So can you imagine what this world would look like if we removed the police department? There's a good man to date and there's a bad one. There's a good woman to marry and there's, not so, there's some that aren't so good, right? And that's, that's in every single sphere. But I was thinking about what this world looks like now currently and what the world would look like if we removed the law. It's the same thing with the male figure because the male figure, he's anointed by God and he's appointed by God to bring order to his home. And if you want to ensue utter chaos, remove the male from the home. And this is why the male has always been attacked throughout history because the enemy, as I said before, is a head hunter. He wants to remove the man because he doesn't necessarily uh, care about the man so much. He cares about getting into the home because the devil, he's a generational thinker. He thinks if I can remove the man from this home, I'm going to eventually get to this little girl. He knows if he can get the father, remove the father's hedge of protection, remove the father's prayer, remove the father's loving, godly touch and affection, she's going to go out looking for it for somebody, from somebody else in an ungodly way. So, so the enemy's desire is to remove the hedge. He wants to ensue utter chaos and dysfunction in the home so that he can have his will and have it so his kingdom can come and his will can be done in our lives. Amen. If you remove authority from its post, chaos and disorder will soon follow. I need you to remember that. And, and this is exactly, if we look back way back in Genesis, if you travel south with me, all the way back to the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter three, and we think about Satan's strategic plan for Adam. And we always ask this question, um, you know, how, how the serpent got to Eve from the very beginning. We ask questions like that, and we ask questions, why did, why did Eve take the apple? Why did she bite the bait? You know what my question is? Where was Adam? Where was dad? Where, where, I mean, he wouldn't even have been talking to my wife if I was there. And, and, the, and the man is to, spiritually speaking, not just with Adam, but with spiritually speaking, God puts the man in place to protect our families and our homes from the serpent, from deception, from evil, because God's will gets done oftentimes through the headship of the man that's in the home, and then the blessing continues down the line. It's not that man is first, but man was chosen to be the 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 the. the, the the, 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 the pillar of the home, the one who, who stands on the front line, the prayer warrior. Come on. I, I can't stand it when I see, uh, you know, if you have a prayer meeting, only women show up. And it's not that that's a bad thing. That's a great thing. Women are powerful. Women are awesome. They're prayer warriors. But my question is, is where are the men? Where are the men at? Men need, need to rise up in their, in, their, in their priesthood and begin to pray for their homes Pray for their spouses, pray for their friends, pray for the nations of the world, because there's something, it's not, it's not that women's, pr women's prayers are not powerful, but there's something about when God gets a hold of a man, because from the very beginning, God was always after the man, because he knew if he could get the man, everything else would find divine order. Look at a man in here and say, stand up in your rightful place. 
You know, one, more than one out of four children under the ages of 18 grow up in fatherless homes. More than one. That's 30 plus percent of children grow up in fatherless homes currently. There are 25 million, everybody say million, kids currently who don't have daddy at home. And millions more who are physically present but are emotionally not. And this is why we need to pray for the men to stand up in their rightful place. Women, we need your prayers because the enemy, he goes an extra mile after the man because the reason he doesn't, certainly he attacks women, but he goes the extra mile to attack the man because if you look, if you look at Genesis, just look at Genesis with me in chapter three. I'm not gonna turn there. But do you remember when, when, when Eve bit the apple? It doesn't say their eyes were opened and they fell. They didn't fall until Adam bit it. In other words, the grace wouldn't have lifted if this, the man simply didn't bite into the apple. It's not that it doesn't matter what the woman does. Yes, you have powerful influence over your husband. Yes, as a woman, you have powerful influence in the nations of the world. But it oftentimes has to do with what the man does. If he would have never bit the apple and never got out of position, he would have, the blessing would have remained. The grace wouldn't have lifted because he was the protector of the family because God held him accountable. Because he didn't, he didn't hold Eve accountable because he said he went after Adam. What is this thing you've done? He, goes, he, he asked Eve, what is this thing you've done? But then he got more upset with Adam because what I, he's like, what did I tell you from the beginning? I told you not to eat of that. I never told her that. Amen? The second is the voice. The quali- Listen, the quali- excuse me. another quality is the voice of the father. The voice. Everybody say the voice. It's so important that we have a voice of the father in the home. And you know what I really believe? It's not believe just, just uh, physically speaking that the need of a father to be in a home physically or just with his voice being in the home, speaking life and light over the children and over the, the wife. But I'm, I mean spiritually speaking because you may be in here and you may not be married at all. But I really believe in these last days that God's going to make his voice more alive and real than ever before. I really believe that. I really believe that those who have ears to hear God's going to speak. Those who desire to hear from the Lord, to get receive direction from the Lord, more than ever before, God's going to go out his way and speak to us. So if you have a gap in your home, if you don't have a father or you, you have no spouse in the home, trust me, the Lord doesn't look on gender. He's spirit. He'll speak to anyone who has ears to hear. And so I really believe that the voice of the Father is going to be speaking to people more than ever, those who have a desire to follow him, those who desire to be close to him, those who desire his instruction. He will be a father to you who are fatherless. Amen? I was thinking about that word curse when, when the scripture in Malachi says, least I strike the earth with a curse. Can you put that back up on the screen? That verse, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 or 6. I believe it's verse 6. Next verse, 6. And watch this. He says, least I come and strike the earth with a curse. Somebody say a curse. Now, when you think about curse, if you're from Africa, I know a friend of mine who, who's a, dis, a descendant from Africa. We think about dolls and voodoo dolls and curses as it relates to that. Do you know what a curse really is? It's, it's any place where there's an absence of God's presence. 
where he is not ruling and reigning, where his presence is not at, evil can then reign. And so the enemy's ultimate goal is to instill a curse, but it's not that he just waves a wand and curses something and it just doesn't prosper. It's not that at all. Is any place is cursed without the presence of God. So when the man gets removed, the, the guy that God appoints as the headship of the home, whereby his blessing flows to, where his hedge of protection flows through, where the provision flows through, because he's the provider, he's the protector, right? When you remove that from the home, he, God is saying the curse can hit the earth if the man is removed for too long as the leader. In other words, his blessing can't rule and reign like God would want it to if the man is out of his place. And that's why you see in the Old Testament, God would remove Moses. Men would get killed. God didn't have any tolerance for men who were out of order back then. It's because God is so, he so desires for his blessing and his presence to reign in the earth that he's willing to do whatever he can to motivate the men to stay in their rightful place. Somebody say, get in your place. And when I think about Elijah and talking about a voice, when I think about Elijah and how verbal he was about serving the Lord in his day, watch this. He, 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 was, he was a voice. He was a voice of reason. There, recently, I'll tell you a quick story. I was sitting at the dinner table the other day, and you guys are probably going to get mad at me for saying this, but our daughter, Imara, she's 18, and um, I'm sure she was going to pray. She sat down, and she went to go dig her fork into her food. I felt like Elijah. I said, girl, don't you sit at this table and not say grace and not in my home. I was nice and loving though. And I just thought about how important it is to have a father's voice in the home. It's important to have both gentle and a firm voice, gentle and firm. You can't have one or just the other because if you're too gentle, the kids do whatever they want to and they end up allowing the world to train up that child in the way they should go instead of, come on, you see what I'm saying? And, and, and so I said, I, said, I said, hold on. I said, you need to say grace if you're going to sit at the table. And so she just giggled. And she said, I was going to say grace. And we laughed about it. But I just thought about how many homes that don't have a voice. Honey, you shouldn't date him. Come on, just look straight. Honey, no, you're not staying out until 11 o'clock. You're 17. There has to be a father's voice that establishes boundaries in the home. So that when that child gets, gets older, they've already been governed by a loving voice of a father to where they're on, when they're on their own, they know what to do. And so they need the voice of the father to affirm them, to be firm, yet gentle and loving all at the same time. I was talking to the team before we, um, we came out this morning. We were in the green room. And um, as I think about it, I'm the only one in my family that I can... Uh, that I can think of were the fathers in the home and how we talk about a curse. And I said early on in my walk with the Lord, I said, Lord, I want to be the one that you use to break the generational curse that's been in my family of fatherless homes, of divorce, of dysfunction, and all these other things. But it takes a man stepping in and saying, Lord, Come hell or high water, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to pray as hard as I got to pray. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to fast. I'm going to do whatever I got to do. I'm going to fight hell itself and do whatever I have to do to make sure that this generational thing breaks in my family line so that my children's children's children will be blessed, so that the favor of the Lord will be upon them, so that they can experience the functionality of a healthy home and experience God's presence like it's supposed to be. It was never supposed to be 
the way that we see it now. All the fractures and the dysfunction because the voice of the Father has been missing. How many want to reestablish that? How many want to see that in the earth? And men's voices have been attacked for generations and generations. My, even my own father wasn't a voice in my life, but I'm sure it was, but it was the pattern. If you look back from generation to generation, it's a generational thing. Somebody say it's a generational thing. It passes down the family line. His daddy taught him and his daddy taught him and so on and so on and so on. And so the enemy gets a foothold in the generation and silences the men. And if he don't silence them in the home, guess what he does? He gets them verbally abusive. So you either got a verbally abusive husband or a male or then on the other side of the spectrum, if he's there and he fought the enemy past leaving and he finally stayed, then the enemy chokes out his voice and he's just simply quiet and doesn't want to say anything. It's because the, the enemy has been after the voice of the man forever because when a man prays, when he opens his mouth, when he creates order, when he establishes order in the home, when he's a voice of reason, when he's a gentle, loving voice, when he doesn't stand back and just let life happen, but he's a voice of reason in that home. Everything else falls into place and the blessings of God can reign. And this was Adam's problem. He was silent. When the enemy came in like a flood and offered Eve that apple, he stayed silent in a time he should have been speaking and said, don't touch that apple. Don't take that job. Don't, don't you look at that man. Come on. You can't stay out that late. He was a voice and he should have been a voice for his wife. Watch what Joshua says in Joshua chapter 24. I'm getting somewhere. And if it seems evil to you, watch this, Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, come on, hereditary curse is what I'm talking about. Talking about something generational. Somebody say amen. Amen. Whether the gods of which your father served that were on the other side of the river, that's interesting, on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. But as for me, as for me, he says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's what the voice of the male needs to reiterate to his family is as for us, as for our household, we will serve the Lord. I know some of you may think I'm crazy, but there are Y'all are going to think I'm crazy. I don't even know if I should say this. There are no rated R movies allowed in my home. No, 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 not at all. Because I have two little ones. And, 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 and my, it's not that I'm saying that it's evil. It's that you have to decide how you want to raise the children. What do you want them to see? And you have to see that I'm not saying some rated R movies are good. Come on. The Passion of the Christ is good. And it's a rated R movie. Right? I just haven't seen it in a long time. But for the past, I would say, I don't know, eight years or so, I haven't allowed the children to see any rated R movies because of what it will do to their little imaginations. Because if this rated R movie is okay to see, then this one must be okay to see. And the enemy's goal is to, to, to dilute them more and more and get them to de- be desensitized to what's pure and holy. Right? What does the scripture say? Whoever has clean hands and a pure heart they will see the Lord. So I want them to be able to see the Lord. And so what I do is I protect my children. I don't, I don't necessarily think that everybody should raise that standard. All I know is as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And if that voice is removed, I know it sounds, it's, it's, it's tough, but it's like somebody who's training and, and, and going for the Olympics. 
I don't expect them to eat certain foods. You don't have to live that way, but if you don't want to accomplish certain goals, then go ahead and watch your rated R movies. <laughs> or go ahead and do things that you think are be okay. You know, for me, I have uh, a generational thing in my family where my family grew up in alcoholism. And my mother and my aunt have lost two of their sisters to alcohol. So what, I, what did I decide to do? I decided early on that alcohol would not be a part of my family line. Plus, I think there's better ways to have fun. Come on, look at y'all looking quiet out here. Hallelujah. But if you, listen, you have to decide where you want to go in your relationship with the Lord. And your decisions will oftentimes determine how far you go. How far do you want to ascend? Some people are okay at tier one. It's not that God loves you more. He loves everybody equally on the same playing field. But how you experience him here on the earth and how much he uses you on the earth will often determine, time, determine your decisions. What would it look like? I'm going to prove it to you. You see me as pastor. What would you think if you've seen pastors sitting out front in ABC with a bottle of liquor between his legs. Drinking's not wrong, but it just wounded your conscience. Do you think you could ever receive from me again? No, no. Do you think God would continue to speak with me and trust me with his anointing on my life if I continue to transgress or overstep? No. So however mightily you want to be used in the Lord, you have to be careful of your decisions. And I decided to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me find other ways to have fun. I know this is a strong message today, but as a man, we have to reset the standards because in the nations of the world today, the standard has been lost. There is no standard. There's only gray lines. There's no dividing lines anymore. We have to get rid. There are no shades of gray in the kingdom of God. There are no 50 shades. There's not one shade. It's God, the enemy. Heaven, hell, righteousness, unrighteousness. There's no dividing line. Holiness, impurity. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we will have fun doing it. I don't mean you need to be stuck in a pew somewhere. That's not necessarily holiness. I go out fishing with the guys. I go have fun. We laugh. We joke. They're good jokes, though. They're not bad ones. And we use clean language. But it's fun living for the Lord. It's a joyful thing living for the Lord. And let me tell you something. If you want to give your sons or your daughters a good future and you want them to experience the, the blessings of God, be a voice of purity. Be a voice that says, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Be a voice that, that shows them what blessings ensue as a result of your obedience. Let your life shine. Let your light shine before men that they may see your father's good works in your life and glorify your father in heaven. Amen. I know this is old time preaching. My mom told me I should have been born in the 50s. But you can wear skinny jeans and still preach the truth and live out the truth. Come on. Come on. There are no, secret there are no secrets in my life. There's only one, and I'm in the secret place. That's the only secrets I have. Amen. Number three, and this is a big one, and this is a hurtful one. Our house needs the touch of a father. Now, I think about this globally. I think about how in desperate need we are of a touch. And I think that's why we're spending so much time in the presence of the Lord these past couple of Sundays, is we, we are desperate for a touch. I'm desperate for a touch. How many are desperate? 
You know, they did a study um, not that long ago of physical touch with infants and babies. This is a terrible study in my, my opinion, but nonetheless, it's a proven study. I think it was in Russia. And what they would do is they had babies who were uh, handled on a regular basis, touched, held, nestled, skin to skin, you know, pat, you know, rub and loved and kissed. And these babies grew exponentially. And then there were the babies that were left untouched. All their, all their physical needs were still met. They were fed. They were bottle fed. All of those things, but they weren't huddle, uh, cuddled and held. And many of those babies got sick and they never uh, reached growth plateaus. They were under the percentile of what they should. And as, as a matter of fact, most of those babies would die. And I, and I think about us spiritually and physically speaking. When there's an absent touch of the father in the home, our sons and our daughters seek touches in other places that they have no business being. It's because they're looking for the touch of a father. They need the father's touch. They need the father's hug. They need the father's kiss. And can I tell you what? We are starving for a touch, uh, a touch in America in our churches, a touch of God. We need it so badly. You know, this day, 25 years ago, one of my favorite um, outpourings that, 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 I think, that I've uh, heard of in my lifetime, there's been many in times past, was the Brownsville Revival. How many know about the Brownsville Revival? I know that sounds crazy when you think revival. You're like, what is that? A revival is where God, and he's so often, and as I've studied history, so often God will breathe on a generation. He'll breathe on a church, a man or a woman. And what it causes is it causes this deep spiritual hunger in the heart of the people. And it awakens a whole community. It awakens a whole state. It awakens a whole nation. I went to the Brownsville um, church um, back last July can't believe it's been that long and um, because I, I love the history of it. And so I went there. And it was an early morning. Can I tell this story again without being laborious? I'll be quick. You guys can come up if you want to, uh, worship team. So I went to Pensacola. It's about a seven-hour drive. And so on our way home, I was at an event, and I felt the Spirit of God say, I want you to stop at this church. Now, to give you a little back history of this church, this pastor by the name of John Kilpatrick had prayed for two years for a reviving of the church. I mean, how many have ever been to Pensacola? There's not much to see in Pensacola. When I heard about Pensacola and what happened, the short story is, is on a Father's Day in, in 1995, God saw it fit to blow through this place. And over four million people Somewhere in that figure, four million people passed through this place. And they were touched by the power of God. They held services five nights a week. They even recorded how many people were able to, how long it took to fill the sanctuary. And I, I looked at one clip, and it took 50-some-odd seconds for 2,500 people to fill the sanctuary. When they would open the doors at any given day on the week, everybody would flood the sanctuary. There was this overwhelming desire to seek God in their hearts like never before. There was this overwhelming desire to repent of their sins, to turn away from their sins, to stop doing things that they knew grieved the heart of God. Can I tell you, we're in desperate need of a father's touch. 
And can I tell you, I've never truly been a part of a real authentic one. I've had glimpses. I've had glimpses. But every so often, it seems like it see, God sees fit to just breathe on a congregation or breathe in a specific city or region, and then it begins to spread like a wildfire. Our schools need a touch. Our government needs a touch. Our president needs a touch. My family needs a touch. Your family needs a touch. This church needs a touch. And can I tell you this? I will not settle for less than God's best, and I hope you won't either. Don't stop pursuing the presence of God. Let's pursue the touch of the Father. Somebody say, pursue the touch. In Acts chapter 2, it says this, and it shall come to pass in the last days. This is the last days. And the last days are mingled with good things and bad things, right? But in the last days, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, that God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men shall dream dreams. And on my maidservants and on my men servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. It means speak the word boldly. In other words, when God truly pours out, there's nobody who could remain in his presence and be hardened. Everybody all of a sudden becomes good ground. It's like you can't kick this desire to pursue God. This overwhelming hunger, this overwhelming zeal to pursue him. Fourthly, I believe one of the last great moves of God is going to be the heart, the revealing of the heart of the Father. How many know in our homes we need the heart of the Father more than ever before? Somebody say the heart of the Father. I recently um, sent a video to my very good friend Benjamin here in the front to your left. And in this video, it was, it was in Hebrew. It was, I couldn't understand it, but I understood what was happening in the video. It was a contemporary video in Jerusalem. And there's this gentleman who's singing. He's singing a song. I didn't understand the lyrics nor the words. But as I begin to listen to it for about a minute or so, he pulls out this um, Jewish, um, it's a prayer shawl. And he raps, he's singing to his son. And he wraps the little boy and he hugs him. He puts his right hand on his head. He's praying for him. And you see him speaking over his son. You see him, and you, that's a rare thing to see sons and, and daughters hug their dads anymore. It's becoming such a rare thing. But this young man gets pulled in close by his dad and you see his dad singing something over him. And I begin to identify with the, the tune of the song. It was in Hebrew. I didn't understand the lyrics, but the tune was this old familiar song that came out recently, and it's called The Blessing. Somebody say The Blessing. It was written by Carrie Job, and here's what the lyrics say. Rebecca can sing it much better than I can. Can you stand to your feet? And I want to tell you what these lyrics said. You guys are familiar with these verses or this verse that I'm about to say is because each and every time when I close during the benediction, meaning when I pray the last prayer before you leave, I stretch my hands over you and I say, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you, give you his peace. How many remember I pray that just about every Sunday? Well, the song goes on to say that and it says this, and may his favor be upon you in a thousand generations 
and your family and your children and their children's children. You know why I know God's not coming back yet? Is because he hasn't restored the hearts of the fathers back to their children just yet. But I can tell you, he's right in the middle of doing something. That's how I know his spirit. Something is happening. Something is shifting. There, there's a shift where the, where the hearts of the fathers are turning back to their children. And you want to know why it's turning back to the children? Because God's going to begin to visit and touch the husbands and the, the men and, and, the, and the fathers in our generation because they can't turn back to the children until their hearts are turned back to God. And when the men's hearts turn back to God, they can then turn to their children. And then guess what? God knows that once he gets the men right in their position as the priest of their home, it can affect generation after generation. And this song says, his favor will be upon you for a thousand generations and your family and their children and their children's children. Because God is a generational God. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.